This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Out of the Blue from the Block M Podcast Network, part of the Fan First Sports Network, the podcast equivalent of getting a crisp $20 bill walking into the Scholastic Book Fair in the late 90s. I am Jared Stormer, AmazingBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of AmazingBrew.com. Andy Bailey, the man who is credited with inventing lawn darts and penning the script for Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. How the hell are you, sir? I'm great, man. You know, I'm feeling like writing an angry worded like letter to somebody else. Like it seems to be the thing to do right now. I want to get in on the action. So I'm going to send a letter to the Big Ten office, see where it goes. Yeah, why not? Let's strongly worded, well-written, articulate, maybe bring in some absolute dogs on your lawyer team to get in there and help mm-hmm. yeah, get some, some legal terms in there. That sounds like a hell of a way to spend our evening. That takes us into our first quick hit. Uh, we still don't have a name for Stein, sign stealing gate. It's got to be better than that. I put a little bit of effort in. I'm still not there. I've reached out to different sources. Um, I've brought in um, AI to help me chat GPT, nothing yet. So I did use AI like legitimately and ask him her name and I got nothing. 
nothing useless so no danger of ai taking our jobs yet can't even come up with a a proper name for this sign stealing allegations nonsense but michigan has officially responded to the big tens conference allegations now we're waiting for a response basically and if necessary oh boy michigan is on a war path with how they responded over the last couple of days now this is not a, a law firm podcast and i don't necessarily know what the the power rankings of law firms are but this william and Connolly law firms got to be in the upper echelons and the power rankings of law firms. They are not messing around with the with the lawyers that they brought in on this bad boy. I mean, they brought in the big guns in case the Big Ten wants to take action now. And like in, I believe it was a 10-page uh, response to the Big Ten today in one line, it said, the conference should act cautiously when setting precedent, given the reality that in-person scouting, collusion among opponents, and other questionable practices may well be far more prevalent than believed. I mean, shots across the bow, shots at everyone. They got tanks in the back. They got lawyers driving them at like the, I don't even know what this is, like the Air Force one of law firms. I mean, Santa's in front of this ready to go. Like, this is incredible. I mean, this is the response we wanted, the response we expected. And it's so good to see it being executed. Uh, and you are really selling it there, making these lawyers sound like they're uh, yeah, they're, they're part of the SEAL Team Six there. And in reality, they're you know spending most of their time at a Brooks Brothers doing their business <laughs> on a golf course. But nonetheless, <laughs> it is so good to see Michigan fighting back and not just taking the rollover and take whatever comes. Michigan clearly standing up for themselves. Uh, state lawmakers sent that letter to Tony Petiti, as you Ooh. mentioned there. So I mean, if you got the freaking state legislator get legislature getting in on this thing, uh, the tide has officially turned. We are on the downhill slope of this. Um, you know, we are long, far removed from the banners are coming down, winds are being vacated. Now it's more like, do we get any punishment whatsoever? I don't want to get anyone's expectations too high or too low or anything because I don't know much. Like nobody really knows, but the narrative has has certainly swung. Oh yeah. And every, everything's coming to light now that like, you know, knowing signs really doesn't give you that much an advantage in these games. A lot of other teams are passing around signals, colluding against other schools. So everything's coming out now. It's like you air somebody's dirty laundry. You think yours is all set, but it's like, Oh yeah, I have a basket over here still. And people have receipts about the basket. So they're being hung up all over the place. And it's just like, it's great because it, it brings back like a, a viciousness, a nastiness to some of these games and the rivalries. And I'm here for it, man. I think all the punishment and all the like litigation things going to take place way after the season. Even if they try to suspend him now, they'll file for an injunction. Almost certainly immediately get injunctive relief. Harbaugh be able to be on the sidelines for every game. I'm excited, man. I feel like you know, you're in the thick of the silliness of it and the thick of the fun of football right now. <laughs> this isn't normally what I attribute to being the fun of football, but nonetheless, I think we've been enjoyed this little saga. Other than the first couple of days when they're trying to tell me the Hutchinson banners coming down, I'm like, don't you dare. I will, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will I spend I like, my money on pitchforks. <laughs> I was like, settle down. Put your pitchfork down. Put the torch out. You're somewhere marching in like Greenville, South Carolina. Candy, I'm on my way to get you, buddy. Hang, going. hang on now. Hang on now. I was not marching in Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs> Well, you're, I would say you're coming north to get me. We'll put it that way. Rounding, <laughs> rounding up the boys to head to Michigan. Like we're taking them down. <laughs> oh, man, sir. Uh, college football rankings dropped, and the top seven remains unchanged. I did have one takeaway, and I'm going to parrot this from Joel Klatt. 
and a lot of the people that have been coming after Michigan for the soft schedule, if you're Alabama with one loss to a really good Texas team, you're looking at this like, why did we schedule Texas? If we would have scheduled anybody else, if we would have done what Michigan did and played Bowling Green, we're in the playoffs right now. We're firmly in the top four. We're undefeated. But because they went and they scheduled Texas, credit to them. It was a fun game. I enjoyed watching it. They're being punished. So that's really my only takeaway from this is that it needs to go to 12 for that reason is that we still don't quite have this pinned down. I don't think. So my thing was, when I was looking at the rankings, I actually would have gone with um, a, a precedent that was established in 2021 involving Michigan. I would rank Alabama above Texas right now, despite yeah. the fact they lost yep. as they did with Michigan and Michigan state two years ago. Like they did it because like they believe a better team now, you know, moving forward, like Alabama's loss to Oklahoma just look, or excuse me, Texas's loss to Oklahoma just looks worse and worse every week. They seem to be going in opposite direction. So maybe that gets sorted out now, but your point's 100% taken, man. Like, why do this? Why risk it when you could just be sitting here coasting, dominating teams like Michigan is and be sitting in prime position down the stretch? Yeah, you and I never wavered on this. We were like, we were looking forward to the schedule. Now, I mean, we're very excited to talk about a meaningful football game here shortly with Penn State. And there is that aspect of it where it's been a little bit on the duller side from, you know, just a viewership perspective and gamesmanship perspective. But this is all about winning a national championship and there's no benefit to, to making that more difficult on yourself. And I think that they should probably try to consider that. I love your point there. I think Alabama should be ranked ahead of Texas yeah. because if we were college sports czars, I think you and I are just very, your eyes don't lie. And yeah. that's what I would do. So I would have Georgia one. I'd have Michigan two, uh, the third best team. I think there's then it gets to, into a debate about who the third best team that you've seen even, all year would be. I even had Ohio State too, to be honest, in mine because the I mean the eye test really isn't there, but like the two resume wins, Penn State and Notre Dame, compared to Michigan's top two wins right now, it's like okay, if you want to do that, I could see your argument to put them there at least until this coming weekend. Well, Notre Dame shouldn't be ranked. They lost to a four and four <laughs> team and only fell five spots, and I mean they might end up being a four or five loss team, so got to let this thing play out i would have ohio state probably at three and then i would probably go washington four but yeah that that's just how i see it Be i'm not gonna to pound my fist on the table for ryan day's team don't get me wrong now no. <laughs> the guy wears guy wears way too much makeup to be taken seriously he's had a ton of plastic surgery done no can't trust a guy like that no beard too dark doesn't match not on the natch don't buy it don't buy it not your your actual hair color can't trust a man like that all right, sir. Anything else that we need to touch on quick hits wise? Obviously, there is the Michigan basketball win over UNC Asheville. Oh. Stay tuned for the second half of this podcast. Brought on the man, the myth, the legend, Kellen Voss from Mason Brew. He's going to break down that game with us. So stay tuned for that in the back half. But anything else? Any hockey updates? Nope, so still on track for Minnesota this weekend. Massive clash to stay alive in the Big Ten race early on in the season. So Got to get at least three points out of this weekend. Got to get a split at the very least. So keep an eye on that, man. Really need to bounce back after the just heartbreak in, against Wisconsin in both games last week. Absolutely, sir. Hang on a second. Time to commemorate this. Wait for it. There it is. Oh, we're That's so back. The, ah, we are so back, baby. It's time to talk about real college football. Now, look, real college football started in September, but... This is the first Michigan game that there's actually a chance we might lose. Now, yes. I'm not going to say that we are. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm predicting a victory at the end of this. Sorry to spoil the, the suspense there, but that's just where we're at. Michigan on the warpath with Penn State 
this weekend in Happy Valley. Penn State sitting at 8-1, 5-1 in the conference. A really good Penn State team that is improved in some areas and then still have some question marks in other areas. Let's start 30,000-foot view. Penn State is a team. One, do they want to win this game? Why isn't this a night game in the most raucous environment imaginable? A noon game? Uh, They might do a whiteout. I care. It's at noon. No one's one's afraid of that. That's not doing anything for them. So that's very strange to me. Um, Penn State, it's, it's hard to really describe who they are. They kind of remind me of 2017 Michigan. That's what they remind me of. They had this really aggressive uh, front on their defense. They do a lot of blitzes, a lot of movement, a lot of twists. And that that really helps prop up their secondary. Because while the secondary is very good in stopping the run, like they've been taking advantage of a little bit in coverage. And also the offense on this team, very limited. Just very, very limited. Like they're trying to run the football. They have an average passer working behind that. Their whole game plan is here. Offense, just take care of the ball. We'll get you good field position so you can punch in some points, and the defense is going to win this. And that's why I say it's like 2017 Michigan. I like it a lot. Coming off of a 41-17 victory last year, Michigan obviously with most of the same players in place from that game. A lot of the same Penn State guys, but at the top on the offense, things have obviously shifted. Drew Alar, his first season as the starter. I think coming into this game and coming into this season after that game last year, it was kind of like Penn State was in that building phase, kind of where Michigan was 2015, where it was like, all right, you know, they've got some guys coming in. Um, you know, some James Franklin. Now, Franklin's been there a lot longer, obviously, than Harbaugh was at that time. But you can kind of see the guys that are coming up. Maybe a better comp might be Michigan 2021, uh, where, you know, you got J.J. McCarthy coming up and you see Donovan Edwards there. And you're like, oh, these young guys on Michigan, are they going to take things to the next level? I kind of expected Penn State to go to the next level this year. And in a lot of ways, they're still very much the same type of team. So let's get into this one, man. Um, James Franklin, let's start here. James Franklin, we are not believers. We have never lied about that. We've never wavered on that. Um, He's a little bit of a douche. Uh, Don't use that word too often, like a tool, maybe like he's definitely just not a good hang. We know that he's one in five versus top 10 teams at home. Not great. Five and eight versus ranked team or excuse me, one in seven versus top five teams. And he's three and six versus Michigan. Now, all that being said, I think People at Penn State are happy to have James Franklin. There's maybe a little bit of a mixed bag thing. You love him and you hate him sometimes. But he certainly brought this program back to a place of respectability. And clearly in the second tier in the Big Ten, I thought this would be the year that maybe he ascended tiers. Is it there for James Franklin or is this just kind of who he is as a coach? It's starting to feel that way, man, because like everyone thought with Drew Aller stepping into this role, he was going to be the one to take him over the top. Like they have so many pieces around him, like especially on the defense, like this has got to be the year. But Aller's a first year starter and he looks greener than green right now. So it's like, well, maybe next year he's going to be the guy. Okay, point taken, but you lose old fashioned out left tackle. You lose a plethora of pieces on your defense. So it's like, when are you going to put it all together? Like this one was supposed to be, I'm I'm just, I'm shocked the way the team is kind of built. I'm shocked with the construct of the offense and what they're trying to do. Like they want to run the ball, but like the physicality isn't there. That's necessary to be able to sustain that kind of advantage. So a lot of it, again, is just falling on the shoulders of Aller. And he's, I mean, he's been serviceable, but like we saw against Ohio state, very limited. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm going to push. I can't believe I'm going to do this. I'm going to push back a little bit on the Drew Aller being just like a journeyman quarterback. He's sitting at 20 touchdowns, one interception. Like that is very good. That aspect of this is the fact that he's not turning the ball over a lot needs to be commended. So he gets credit for that. Uh, the numbers are not is like eye popping as far as the yards that he's putting up, nor is the competition in which he's doing a lot of this um, against Ohio State is probably the game that I'd rather look at where he was a little bit more pedestrian, really struggled, particularly pushing the ball downfield. And shout out to one of our listeners, Jimbo, who was in on this like week one that Drew Alar yeah. can't push the ball down the field. And he ended up being right that Drew Alar is definitely a good game, an above game average game manager right now with talent. Like, I think he has talent, but can you say he's more than a game manager right now? I wouldn't even say above average game manager. So like on the wow. year, he's averaging 6.6 6 yards per attempt. And for comparison, Cade McNamara was averaging 7.9 in 2021. Like it's a substantial drop off. He is checking this ball down. They are trying to just be very safe with it. Hence why the, why the interception numbers aren't there. He's just not the risk taker. And that hurt him against Ohio State. Like sometimes, man, you got to take a shot. You got to force the ball. He did a little bit better job forcing the issue late against Indiana and again against Maryland. But is he better than Sean Clifford was last year? I don't think so. Yeah. No, you and I talked about, I think off air, I'm not sure if we said yeah. it on the podcast, like who gives them the better chance to win right now, Alar or Clifford? I think we both said Clifford without even really hesitating too much. Clifford just better between the ears. Um, you, you trust him to make a play, maybe not too far down the field, didn't have crazy arm talent, but at least could get you some crossing routes, at least could maybe get a tight end open down the field. He could run too. The field. He could run as well, whereas Drew Alar, we have not seen a lot of that. So. It'll be interesting against this Michigan defense. I think that we'll really officially know what Drew Alar is. This is his second game against an actual defense. And I, I'm definitely with a lot of what you're saying, but I can't just say he's a below average game manager when he's going to break the Michigan pass touchdown passing record this year. I mean, that's oh. granted. I, I mean, I know, I know you're going to push back here, yeah, but you knew I was the facts are the facts are the facts. They are, they are there. And he, he's, he's, they're getting the wins. I think that's the most important thing, but it's like, he's not getting the wins that matter. They got the 10 wins last year and they had the two losses. And it's like, I, I see a similar kind of trajectory with the team this year with a better team around him, all things considered. So I just don't know how, like, can he carry a game on his shoulders? We're going to get into that a little bit, but it's like, I'm just not a believer, especially when you saw it against uh, the competition. Looks very gun shy when he starts getting hit around as most first year starters do in fairness to him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they're currently the number six scoring offense. Those numbers a little bit inflated because of the schedule, like I said, and who they're putting those numbers up against. Number 43 rushing offense. This is something I wanted to touch on because I think we both assumed after last year, like, oh, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton coming back. They think this Olu Fashionow kid is going to be a tone setter on the offensive line. I expected this to be a team that was kind of starting to take that Michigan identity, which is why I compared them to like maybe the 15 to 16 transition or I think the 2021 transition maybe is a little bit better where it was like okay we have an identity coming in and that identity is going to be running the football that really hasn't been the case and I think Nick Singleton is the better prospect the better yeah. back and it's a lot of Katron Allen who's good very mm -hmm. serviceable back but I'm just kind of surprised that the rushing offense hasn't really clicked it's it's hard to really just put it together. It's like the offensive line has kind of regressed in a way because that was supposed to be one of the strengths of this team. One of the reasons like you and I talked so highly of them in the preseason, but it just, it hasn't been there. So they have fashion now at left tackle, who is 
by all indications, going to be one of the top two tackles taken in the NFL draft. You and I have not seen the seen it on tape consistently this year. I think he was better last year. Yeah. And like once they were pressed by like the one good defense they faced in Ohio State, they allowed four sacks and six TFLs. I mean, they looked like they had trouble stopping any speed rushes. Ohio State was constantly getting pressure up the middle, around the edge, just really kind of doing what they wanted. And then as they fell, the running game fell, and then it fell back on Aller's shoulders. Uh, but just to the running backs and the play calling, did any of the play calling make sense to you the way they were like sequencing plays and runs against Ohio State? Because you and I were texting, it was like, why isn't Singleton out there? What are they doing? Like he didn't take an offensive snap until their third possession of the game. No is the short answer there. <laughs> but I mean, that goes into what we've been saying for years about James Franklin is, you know, we just like watching good football. Obviously we're huge Michigan fans, but when we're tuning into these other teams, we just want to see competent, good football. And James Franklin makes too many head scratching decisions. And, I don't really know what his role is. I know he's he's an offensive guy. So, I mean, he's yeah. got to be way more involved in the offense than he is in the defense. So I know that he has a big say in what's going on. But some of the play calling decisions, game management stuff. Um, and then, yeah, like we're talking about here, like the players that he's choosing to put in there. I don't I just don't always get it. The the, uh, the sequencing of play calls like they don't do any Michigan does. And you do a great job breaking this down on your film studies, by the way, about how Michigan will set up tendency plays where they're like they're literally doing stuff in early games, knowing that you're going to see that tape and you're going to make adjustments and you're going to build your defensive game plan around that. And I, I, I assume they do that. I mean, they're getting paid. A, he's getting paid a great deal of money, but it doesn't seem like it a lot of times when you watch their game plan if fleck and uh franklin switch jobs better like it i think so too i think so it's like i think all the resources here i think franklin is a good recruiter but it's like we just have not seen it with the talent they have and credit to them all they they know what their team identity is and their team identity is offensively protect the football at all costs they're number one in the country in turnover margin they are i believe second to last in the power five in explosive plays 20 yards or more they're just trying to keep the football just let the defense win the game and get a stop get a short field and score so it's like on offense it's weird to look at a unit that their main objective isn't to score it's just to protect the football but it's like I do give them a little bit credit for understanding that identity and playing into it, despite where it's eventually going to run into shortcomings against better competition. Yeah, absolutely. And getting back on the running game a little bit here, uh, you look at the leading rushers going through their entire schedule so far, and it's been a mixed bag. Like it's a little bit of indecision too about who the guy is there, which is fine. I mean, yeah. it, ideally you have two backs that you can lean on. I think Michigan kind of wanted something similar this year where Every now and again, it's the Donovan Edwards game, and he's taking some of the load off of Quorum. Now, we've been up so big in these games that doesn't matter. Nobody's yeah. really getting all that wear and tear. But they've gone over 100 yards on the ground, or they've had a leading rusher go over 100 yards just once this year, and that was Katron Allen versus Delaware. And to be fair, I don't know if Michigan's had a rusher go over 100 yards this year. I don't think we have. I think Quorum once. Yeah, I think did Quorum, Quorum go over did it once? again. Yeah, Bowling Green, I think he went over. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you're right, yeah, because JJ couldn't get it going through the yep. air. Yeah, so I mean – it, similar kind of situation with them where they haven't been tested. Um, Illinois is a good game that I kind of went back and looked at a little bit for this because I do like the Illinois defense. They've taken a big step down in that one, but that was a game where they really wanted to run the ball and could not do it effectively. And it had to be Drew Alar in that game. And then some turnovers helped to make that thing close. But I worry about their ability to attack 
a strong, talented defense, particularly a talented defense that's going to get pressure on Alar. Pressure is going to be in his face. How does he handle that against Ohio State? Looked shaky, man. He looked shaky. So, I mean, this is a, a step up as far as defensive competition, as much as the Ohio State defense might be improved. How are they able to attack this defense is going to be, I think, maybe the key thing to watch in this one. Can they find a way to get consistent offense, which probably is going to have to come from a lot? Yeah, and I think Michigan's three keys to the game in stopping this offense and what they're trying to do is, firstly, make Penn State one-dimensional. Force Drew Allar to win this game. Take away the safety blanket. I mean, that goes to what you were just now saying. I'm just echoing it. Secondly, defend slants. Drew Allar is going to throw about 10 slants minimum in this game because that's what they do in this offense. It's a very easy completion. Urban Meyer spoke about it before the Penn State-Ohio State game, but it's going to be a slant fest. You're going to see it from uh, McCord a lot. This is going to be your first dose of it, and it was awesome to see the way Will Johnson defended it for the interception last week against Purdue. Uh, thirdly, field position. Force Penn State to drive the length of the field. They want to win this battle. It's one of their like low-key keys to success. So you make them drive 70, 80, 90 yards, convert third downs. I just don't think they're capable of it, especially if they can't run the football. I love that. And look, we're big on punching this year. I don't know. I yes. guess we're just getting old. I, I think we're just getting older. That's all that is where we really appreciate punting this year. Doman coming off of his best game. I, I do think special teams is going to be a key in this. I love that call out that field position. If they're having to drive from the 20 and go 80 yards down the field, I don't think that they can score more than two touchdowns. And that's giving them some serious like that's giving them some respect that yeah. I don't necessarily know that they've earned as an offense. So yeah, if they're having to drive the ball, the length of the field, and if they're having to do it through the air on something more than crossing routes, because Michigan can defend them really well. Now uh, hasn't always been the case. If you remember uh, not too long ago, that was Michigan's bugaboo. But now with the players that we have, the personnel in the back end, I think we're way more well suited for that. Even our linebackers are better in coverage than they were in the Don Brown era. So I'm not too worried about the slant attack. You're absolutely right to call that out as well, that that is probably going to be a big part of their offense. With this game being at home, I expect the Penn State offense to be a little bit better. You know, it's in their backyard, things they can control, take care of, have the crowd behind them. But honestly, is it a detriment? Would you rather like to have a crowd go silent than an opposing crowd be loud? Because like, if that if Happy Valley gets quiet like three possessions into the game, are they going to start forcing the issue a little bit? Are things going to start unraveling maybe a little bit quicker? I'm, I'm it's very much just a working hypothesis, but I think sometimes the silence can be more deafening than a, a crazy raucous crowd. No, this is a tremendous hypothesis, and I'm going to add some credence to it. Uh, I, I think my take when you said, like, why are they put, playing this game at the day? Like, if I were Penn State, if I were the athletic director, I would have circled this immediately as a night game. Yeah. Because there's a big difference between swimming in the ocean and the, the light of day and going for a dip in the middle of the ocean at night. Like that is a dramatic. The first option sounds borderline fun. Maybe that's, that's some wild fun. Yeah, <laughs> but that second option sounds horrifying, and I don't want any part of it. And that's exactly how I feel about Happy Valley. Like, give me a daytime game and at noon, and like people are still waking up, haven't really tied on a buzz yet. You know, got a lot of families in attendance. That doesn't scare me. You go down the field first drive, things are going to settle down, and it's just like any other stadium. But, man, I forget which game it was. It was one of the Patterson games where I think we started with, like, two delay of games. Like right Penn out of the State, gate. 2019. Yeah, 19. There you go. We're like, it was so loud in there. That was the loudest environment I've ever heard. And, like, 
that, that that's saying something because I literally wrote my my senior thesis in under in undergrad about the loudest stadiums and the loudest instances of stadiums and there was one that like registered on the Richter scale but that 2019 game I was like good lord what a horrifying environment and yeah they did themselves a disservice man I'm totally with you that one drive down the field to open this thing up you go down right like especially three and out drive down the field it's going to get quiet in there and all of a sudden you're going to be right back where last year what we were doing we make their thing our thing you know we make the jump around thing our thing and we make their stadium work against them and you i guarantee you i would bet a, i i just have a feeling michigan's gonna wear the all whites for this game they're gonna make it their white out for the game so i fully expect that to be taking place but one reason penn state feels so comfortable having this at noon is because of the defense I like that transition uh this is an excellent defense with an elite front seven I mean, defensive coordinator Manny Diaz runs an aggressive blitz-heavy scheme with copious amounts of pre-snap movement to really just confuse and disorient blocking assignments. His defense is designed to confuse an attack. That's the very just genesis of it. This unit has to carry most of the weight for its offense and heavily relies on turnovers and creating short fields for the offense to drive. To a fault, however, Diaz is stubborn. He trusts his defensive scheme to last and will ride at the entire game, even when a simple double team of Marvin Harrison could have won the game for Penn State against Ohio State. <laughs> Don Brown. On the line, <laughs> despite being slightly undersized on the interior, Penn State is a little bit bigger. So let's start there on the defensive line. I think it's gotten a little bit more improved than where it was last year when they got pushed around in Ann Arbor. It has. There's some guys that we really like on it. We did our ball knowers challenge last week, and we talked about some of the players on this Penn State defense that we really like guys that would maybe not start at Michigan. Chop Robinson might Chop Robinson. But guys that would get. Yeah, he'd probably start, but other guys would get run at Michigan. Like I do like their defensive line. I do like Manny Diaz. I'm a believer. Obviously, his tenure at Miami didn't go that well, but as a defensive coordinator, I think he's one of the better ones that we have. And I, I think that they're going to challenge Michigan in some interesting ways, but you brought up the, the defensive line and their ability to penetrate. I don't necessarily see them as this like heavy penetration, lots of sack pressure type of defense. Now they'll they'll control the edge very well, and it could be tough to run on this Penn state defensive line. That is entirely possible, but do I see them getting in JJ's face a ton? Now we're coming off the worst offensive line, performance yep. of the season so that is something to worry about slightly if there's something that i'm looking at it's right there like if the offensive line didn't get things cleaned up last week and chop robinson's allowed to kind of just work one-on-one -on -one a lot and and we're not giving a little bit of help there that could be something but i i don't look at this defensive line as something that's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before and give us tremendous problems you're dead on there because they're going to generate their pressure with their linebackers, their safeties, their corners. He wants to bring the blitz. He wants to bring five to seven man blitzes as much as he can. It's kind of like uh, Jim Knowles's defense last year is kind of what it reminds me of. They've been just very super aggressive in that aspect. Uh, one stat I found very interesting uh, heading into this game is like coming in Penn state is the number two scoring defense behind Michigan, number two rush defense, number 12 pass defense. The only rush defense they trail is James, Mad James Madison. If you go back to mm. last year, if you remove just the Michigan game from the yardage, they are the second run defense again behind James Madison. So like while everybody talks about how improved and different they are, it's a lot of the same stuff against these opponents. So we'll see how they hold up against Michigan, whether they have taken that step. But uh, back to your uh, defensive line point before I got off track, it's Adissa Isaac 
is a guy I really like on the edge as well uh, on the season so far. We talked about him. He's talking the ball knowers challenge. He has six and a half sacks, 10 and a half TFLs. So even if Chop Robinson can't go, he is listed as questionable. He hasn't played the last couple games due to an injury. I expect Isaac to still make an impact in this one or at least disrupt a few things. But if Robinson can't go, that really limits some things for what they want to do defensively with their pass rush. Yes, absolutely. Particularly since then we can find ways to scheme around one guy. You can a slide lot to one, difficult. you can slide to one yeah. rusher. Yeah, you can you can scheme around one guy. When you got a pair of them that you got to deal with, that throws your numbers off. The equation's all out of whack. So huge difference if Chop Robinson can't go or if Chop Robinson isn't at a hundred percent. I think he's been their second best player. I mean, it might be Adisa Isaac as their best player. I mean, you, if it's not Robinson at number one, it might be Isaac at number one. I'm definitely picking somebody on this defense as the best player I've seen. Yeah, it's um. let's go into linebacker. Uh, Abdul Carter, I think, is firmly yeah. in that conference. Where's the number 11 is all big time linebackers do there. An absolute stud. And they do a lot of things around him. He is the straw that stirs the drink and their pressures and everything they're trying to do up front. And his counterpart is really good as well, Curtis Jacobs. Like, they're very big physical linebackers, what you come to expect from a Penn State team. And if I had to pick one guy, like, he may not be the best, but I think Abdul Carter is at least the most valuable member, especially in the front seven. I like that. I also kind of grew up with Penn State being linebacker. You, LeVar I mean, Arrington. Like Paul, yeah, yeah. LeVar Arrington, one of my favorites to watch. I was just a kid, but I was like, who is this man? This is a gladiator. Yeah. Uh, liked him. Paul Puzlunski, uh, Micah Parsons, obviously doing great mm. things in the NFL now. They have a lineage of, of great linebackers. And and you're absolutely right. Yeah, man. Curtis Jacobs is, is going to be a stud. Had a good game against Ohio State. Very active. I would bet money, if this is a fan duel bet, he'll be their leading tackler i would go ahead and put that in the books um are you worried about michigan getting a running attack going in this one though because we talked last week that man it'd be nice to see a few of those explosive plays haven't seen a lot of them and it's possible that you know maybe michigan's effort level wasn't there because of the opponents they were playing i don't know if i buy that because michigan's effort level is going to be high no matter who they're playing and maybe we see them turn it up again this week but i'm a little concerned that we might not be able to run the ball like we want against this penn state team one thing i like that michigan has done the last two years is they try to put the ball in the hands of their heisman trophy contender as much as possible last year was blake quorum this year it's jj mccarthy and i think mccarthy especially with his legs is going to be the secret ingredient to open things up. We've seen a few McCarthy runs just to knock the dust off. I think we're going to see a lot of stuff on the perimeter in this game. I think we're going to see bluff zones with McCarthy. I think we're just going to see all kinds of zone reads where he can pull it. We're going to see duo read. Only ran one duo play against Purdue, which is the lowest I've tracked in <laughs> three years. Like everything was in the pocket during that game. I think you're going to see pin and pulls to the edge against these even fronts because Michigan doesn't play a ton of teams that run even fronts. We're just going to test the perimeter a lot more than we have. And I think that's going to soften up the middle. And if they don't, McCarthy has the arm to open things up that way. Kind of like Georgia did the last couple of years. They would let Stetson Bennett throw it in that Todd Munkin offense, and then they would run the ball. So I think you're going to see Michigan's full bevy of attack. And while it may you may not get the explosives, you're certainly not going to get what you did last year. But if you just get three yards of carry, that's a huge win. Because that gets you to fourth and one, and you feel comfortable what Michigan can do in that spot. Yeah, well said. We don't need to have our best running output of the season to beat Penn State, but you have to do enough to keep them honest. You have yes. to do enough to be able to stay in your sets, to be able to be in third and four rather than third and sevens. A lot of third and sevens against this defense. 
it's probably going to be a low scoring affair then if that's the case if you're not getting into third and manageables not that jj mccarthy can't do things on third and long i think he's been one of the best third down quarterbacks i've seen like ever at michigan if not the best he's also been one of the best this season he can certainly make things happen and you also mentioned his legs which i think will play into this particularly if they are shutting down the running back game i think him buying time rolling outside of the pocket could be a huge part of our running attack in this one as well uh additionally watch like a guy like samaj morgan in this one with yep. the end arounds last week and, and you're you're bringing up a great point about attacking the edges there something that i think michigan's going to continue to do and do more so more yep. of as this season goes along so somebody like samaj morgan could play a, a bigger role in this game i mean he's already played a, a huge role in this offense but that's a guy i got my eye on anybody with speed around the edge like we've been waiting for the donovan edwards game big i i really got my eye on donovan edwards as well there's a big thing here with like they ran that reverse at the end of the game for a reason like the play off the play like one you're going to see it faked a few times two they can hand it off and then pitch it back like there's going to be something coming from this they are going to play on a tendency in this game and they're going to take big advantage of it so my three keys to the offense in this game were number one just average three yards a carry I think that includes J.J. I think he could sneakily be the leading rusher in this one. I think we're going to see a big J.J. game on the ground. And again, like, so if you're doing that and you're keeping a linebacker in the box to spy you, that's going to just open up more space for Colson Loveland, A.J. Barner, and those guys to go to work. So that's a big benefit to Michigan. Oh, yeah. uh, number Number two capitalize on mismatches you were talking about a big donovan edwards game i think that first pass we saw the deep shot against purdue we're going to see that a lot i think he's going to be involved he barner and loveland are a mismatch for anybody that gets put on them in space and the things they can do to manipulate personnel so that's my second key my last one for offense protect the football just like we lost the turnover battle last year one to nothing which is crazy to think back on but like you take care of the football on this one, it's going to be very difficult for Penn State to just get that decisive edge or that momentum swinging back in their direction. So handle your business. Michigan's been pretty good about taking care of it. Just do that, and I think good things are going to happen. Yeah, I would even move protect the ball up to my number one because – I just don't see a world where we lose this game while winning the turnover margin. Even if the turnover margin is dead even. Harbaugh's undefeated, right? I think he's undefeated winning the turnover margin at Michigan. I'm trying to rack my brain. You're the historian here. So I'm pretty sure he's, he's undefeated when he's plus one. I generally agree with you, but yeah, that sounds correct. So even if, if it's just even, I like our odds, but if we have to make up for two, three turnovers, so that's why I've got my eye on special teams as well. So uh, unless you had anything else there, let's, let's talk about special teams. Uh, one last thing on the defense, uh, the secondary, very physical, very fast. I like, um, we talked about Kalen King a little bit last week. I like Johnny mm-hmm. Dixon a lot. Watch for him as a blitzer. I like him as- more. I do too. Uh, while they are aggressive and really good at tackling, uh, they can be suspect at times in coverage. So something to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. And like good at tackling, but have they had to really handle Blake Corum rushing for 20, 20 times, like carrying the ball 20 times? Yeah. And if this is a Corum 20 carry game, I do think that our, our guys are playing in the fourth in this one. I mean, we played we're going a lot deep. more in the fourth. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to go deeper in this one and they should be ready for it. But yeah, how does Kalen King in the secondary handle guys that are getting past their linebackers? And oh, another point that you mentioned that I wanted to come back on. If they come out and run a spy, I'm going to be rubbing my hands together with joy (laughs) because Michigan has had tremendous, tremendous success against the spy. And to be honest, I don't see many defenses, even the best 
run the spy to success. Like most, most of the best defenses don't even try it anymore because it's basically losing a guy out there that might be doing nothing on the play. Exactly. Most good spies. Now I think Kirby smart does a lot of this is he uses like his defensive end. Like he'll bring him up on the edge and they won't blitz. And then they'll like blitz a linebacker and force him out. And then they have their spy defensive end kind of hiding and he sneaks out and makes a play. So I think that way is the the more the cl- more clever way to do it. But yeah, if you're going to hang a middle linebacker spy in this game, like you said, rubbing the hands together like I'm Birdman. JJ's going to pick it apart. Adjusting the britches, rubbing the hands <laughs> together. Like things are not going to go well for you if you're trying to do that. JJ's too smart for that. You're basically wasting a defender because Michigan will just be like, all right, well, you know, we know something's going to be open because that spy is committed to JJ. So we'll roll him out of the pocket and JJ can throw across his body like second best of anybody in college football right now outside yep. of Caleb Williams. I mean, he is very accurate rolling one way and throwing the other. You don't want him to do too much of that, but he can do it and can do it. And you don't like, panic when he does so so yeah i hope they run a spy that would be that would be joyous news uh yeah great call out there on the secondary as well because i think people and if you ask just like the average person like i think they would still probably say penn state has the better secondary but that is not correct that is not correct just because kalen king got so much nfl draft type but he is not a better cornerback than will johnson he is rungs below will johnson as far as like a prospect and somebody that you would scout for the nfl and like you said johnny dixon is better so i think there is going to be some opportunity in the passing game um i think this is going to be a big tight end tight end performance mm-hmm. as well that's that's where i'm looking and man if they play a spy whoo you got me excited about that uh all right sir let's move over to special teams but before we do this breakdown is brought to you by manscaped Every man knows how scary it can get when going for a close shave below the belt. That's why I trust Manscaped for all my sensitive areas. Their newest package contains the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Their fifth-generation trimmer features two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe bladeheads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. It also has a dual LED spotlight to provide contrast on multiple skin tones, three-length setting combs, and perhaps best of all, it's waterproof. Also included is a travel case and even a travel lock feature to avoid any accidental powering on, off, or weird looks in the airport. Join the 5 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped for all their grooming needs and use the promo code BLOCKM20 to get free shipping and 20% off your order. Head to manscaped.com and use that promo code BLOCKM20 at checkout for 20% off your order. Okay, sir, let's talk special teams here. Saved it for last because we were kind of... We were, we were leaning into this a little bit last week that special teams is going to end up shifting a game. We said this yeah. a lot preseason, and I think we backed off of a little bit because we were more talking about James Turner being the difference in a game. And a lot of that comes from what we saw against Illinois last year, where we're like, without Jake Moody, we do not win Illinois. What does that season look like? This season hasn't quite shaped up like that. But that doesn't change the fact that special teams in these tight games against better competitions is going to be dramatically important, particularly since their defense and our defense, I like our defense way more, but it's not that big of a gap. They do have a really strong defense, so you're going to need special teams in this game. Hardball likes to say, like, to win a game, normally you have to win two sides of the ball. Like, nine times out of ten, you got to take care of that. So if you say the defenses are a wash and Michigan's offense wins, 
who takes care of special teams to bring this thing home. It's a very interesting matchup because you have James Turner from Michigan, the kicker who's really settled in. He's just been lights out, 8-10 to 10 on the season. He's not missed, I believe, since the Rutgers game. Has just been really dialed in since then, all his extra points as well. Penn State's been a little bit shakier. Uh, they've converted 13 of 18, which is 72%. Uh, 10th in the Big Ten, number 77 nationally. But where I look to in this game, there's a very interesting battle in the punt return battle. Daquan Hardy for Penn State is electric with the ball in his He's hands. Good. He averages over 20 yards of return, has two touchdowns on the season, and only started returning punts. Uh, it was Iowa, I believe. It was, it was a little later in the season. Michigan has only allowed four punt returns all season. That's going to be one of the biggest things, utilizing Doman as a weapon to back them up, not allow him to like start returning or doing anything with the ball in his hands. And on the flip side, Penn State has a pretty good punting game. They have really good punt return coverage, but they have allowed 15 returns this season. So I trust we're going to see Jake Thaw back there in this game after the Tyler Morris uh, screw up last year resulted in the turnover. So it's about being sure-handed, but it's about making a play, and I think he's going to have a few opportunities. Great call out there. Uh, I do think that they have the edge in punt return. Actually, I know they have the edge in punt yeah. returner because we just we haven't had a great punt return situation this year. This is 100% going to be a Jake Thaw game. I would be very surprised to see Tyler Morris out there after what we saw because you don't need special teams to create explosive plays in this one. You just need special teams to not turn the ball over and do what you're supposed to do. The four punt returns on the season is kind of a wild stat. That's not yeah. one that I normally track, but that seems low. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, if we can just keep it out of Daquan Hardy's hands and Jake Thaw can just field the ball, no turnovers, no miscues, maybe have your best guys out there. I mean, we had like Frederick Moore uh, on the on the punt coverage that made the air last yep. week. Like, get your best guys out there. This is not the game to mess around on special teams. I'm not too worried about James Turner. I think he'll deliver. I mean, at this point, He's not the the moody leg. It doesn't excite you. There's probably not going to be a 59-yarder, but make your 35-yarders and and we're golden. I've got yeah. no issues with you James Turner. You are you are welcome for Christmas dinner. So, I think that's all we need in this one. You don't have to win the game with special teams, but you can't let special teams beat you. You can't fall behind. You can't let turnovers happen on special teams. That's going to muddy the waters and make this thing uglier than it needs to be. Crazy stat for you. Uh, Jake Thaw and Tyler Morris are averaging more return yards per punt than AJ Henning did last year. Wild. That is wild. <laughs> and that's even factoring in the one he had for a touchdown against UConn, even after that. So you take that out of the equation, how much lower it would have been. So it's like, they haven't had the big one yet, but it's like consistently putting it there. And I think we're going to see it improve a little bit more and more, but you hit the nail on the head. This is about being decisive, about being sure-handed, taking care of the football here, setting the team up for good field position, winning it while you're punting it, not letting Hardy beat you and give up something like that. So it's like, this is one of those games where you and I are already like this, like standing up for every punt, but it's going to be like nervous for every punt because we know how much momentum can swing at that moment. Exactly, man. Yeah. And it, it, we don't usually spend this much time talking about special teams, but when your defense is this dialed in, when your offense doesn't have any flaws really to break out and your, your special teams has been, I guess shaky. I don't know if they maybe average. I wouldn't say yeah. above average, but they've I would been say about under average. expectations. Yeah, just under expectations. That's what you look for in something like this against a, a quality opponent. Uh, sir, anything else that you wanted to touch on before we get into predictions, guys to watch, players of the game? Uh, yes, my last key, my biggest key. We've been echoing around this the entire time. I think this game on offense and defense is going to come down to one thing 
That's winning first and second down. I think whoever wins first and second down wins this game. Aller is not consistent enough on third and intermediates, and Michigan won't have to deal with Diaz's array of blitzes and disguises if they're not in obvious passing situations. So whoever can stay on schedule in this one, get to those third and shorts, I believe is going to win the game. I like that minor pushback here. So say we have the exact same outcome and both teams are faced with a lot of third and sixes. Michigan. Who do you exactly? Wait, you, wait, you, wait. Exactly. Yeah, way, way more. But it's like if we win it against them at least, like I don't trust them yeah. to do it. Like we can throw on third exactly. long. It's like keep them off schedule. They that running game's not getting us to exactly. Yeah. Yep. Nope. I totally agree with you. Yeah. They they can't do it, at least not all day. He might be able to complete a couple of them, yep. but it's basically gonna be like pulling a rabbit out of his hat, Alar, that is. Whereas JJ, like pulling a rabbit out of his hat's just what he does. That's a Tuesday for JJ McCarthy. That's that's some mild work. So I'm not concerned about that. Uh all right, sir. Let's get into predictions, guys to watch, players of the game. Who do you got on your guys to watch? All right. So remember last year's game wasn't a blowout until late. Michigan couldn't capitalize in the red zone. They had three field goals and four trips, lost a turnover battle, only led by two at half just to turn around and be trailing 17 to 16 early in the third quarter. The biggest factor was in this game, like we just talked about, was those third downs. Michigan was 11 of 17 in those third manageables. Penn State was four of 12. So it's about being off schedule, about being on schedule in this one. I think it's going to be close early. I think you're going to see a little pushback, both teams trying to fill each other out. But I just, I like what Michigan's going to do with their scripted to at least control the ball a little bit, you know, allow the defense to rest, control the time of possession, dictate the field position. Guys to watch for me, Ladarius Henderson and Carson Barnhart offensively. Both tackles. I want to see how they hold up against these pressures. They had a rough game last week, probably the worst of the season. I want to see how they communicate up and down the line of scrimmage, pass uh, pass off blitzers, pass off rushers, communicate with the running backs. That's going to be the big thing to watch on offense. Defensively, got to watch Rod Moore. Like, this feels like a good Rod Moore game. Like, he's been getting better every week, had his best game of the year probably against Purdue. I think it's going to happen again this year. So, Rod Moore is going to be the guy to watch. Men of the match. Let's not screw about with this one. J.J. McCarthy and Mason Graham. It's This is a game where stars need to be stars. This is your Heisman Trophy game. This is your Bednarik game. This is your any award game. This is what they're going to look to. It's going to be one of the two biggest focal points of the year. I think Michigan stars will be stars. I think Mason Graham is going to destroy people on the inside. I think he is going to have a good, very good game on the inside in this. It was a little quieter last week because Chris Jenkins was eating so much. But I think it's time for him to get some more on his plate. And J.J. McCarthy, I think he's going to have the biggest single impact on this game, dictating with his legs especially and his arm and what he can do. This isn't the McCarthy they saw last year. This is a much, much vastly improved J.J. McCarthy. I think entering the third quarter, it's going to be tight. Neither team has allowed a third quarter point this season. I think it's going to hold up for Michigan. I don't think it's going to hold up for Penn State. They're going to keep it there. It'll be about 14-13. Michigan's going to pull away, put together two scoring drives, open it up by, you know, 15 Cap it off. They're going to win 31-13 in Happy Valley. Let's go. Let's go. Like a lot of what you said there, like a lot of the players that you called out, particularly the tackles coming off of that performance last week, my eyes will certainly be going there. But for the sake of parody, I will mix it up there. I will say guys to watch in this one. I already mentioned earlier, Samaj Morgan, you could take Donovan Edwards here. I think speed on the outside in this game is going to be something to watch. So Samaj Morgan coming off of that touchdown last week, very just electricity. They're working him in more. He's become a part of this offense. He's not just a gadget. I think he's someone that they're going to use his speed, even if they don't give him a, the ball. 
expect them to do some interesting motions with him, get him out on the field to get them thinking that get the defense flowing towards him. And then maybe they go a different direction. So I'm watching that. Uh, The other guy to watch on defense, I'm going Mike Barrett. I think a lot of the action is going to be happening within five to seven yards of the line of scrimmage for Penn state. So Mike Barrett, junior Colson, those guys are going to be involved in a lot of this. They're going to, like we already mentioned slant fest. Well, I mean, that means there's going to be linebackers involved in there. They're going to be around. So what are they able to do? Is Mike Barrett able to force a turnover there from his linebacker spot? That could be very, very important. Uh, Man of the match. I love your not messing around thing. I'm going against type here. I've been going JJ every week and I still think it's JJ, but like quorum's due for a game. Quorum is due for a a big breakout game. And I think this is probably one that he had circled. Uh, He doesn't, I don't think there's any reason for him to care about getting 25 touches and getting over a hundred yards every game, but this is one that all eyes are going to be on. If he wants to establish himself as one of the best running backs still could be a Doak Walker finalist. So a hundred percent. So I think that this is the game where you want to get Blake Corum going early. Now I could be proven wrong early in this one. If Michigan's kind of just running into a brick wall and they need to change up the game plan, but if he's able to get going, it's going to be a long, long afternoon. Even if he slowed down early, he can't, you can't get away from it. You got to keep feeding the bull. Yep, exactly. And even if, if, even if he goes into the half with 30 rushing yards, yep. you're not free from the Blake Corm experience. He's going to keep coming. And uh, much like Mel Tucker, just <laughs> it keeps coming. It's Penn State week, baby. <laughs> I love it. Let's go. Uh, Will Johnson. Will Johnson in the back end there. Uh, I just freaking love Will Johnson. Got to see the pick last week. That got me so excited. Got me hyped. We didn't even really talk about the Penn State uh, receiving core because there's nobody that really scares me. Keandre Lambert-Smith will probably be the guy whose water he's asked to shut off. I think he will do that admirably. He's a ball hawk, though. Like If you didn't know already last week, that is what ball hawks do. Not an interception for every cornerback, but it is for Will Johnson. Drew Alar with one pick on the season i expect that to at least jumped to i think will johnson gets a pick in this one if they're smart they'll throw away from him and throw at josh wallace so maybe it's wallace that gets the pick but i think a cornerback's going to come up with one in this one so i'm going to go with will johnson there as far as a score i like where you were heads at i like the close early you know penn state hanging around kind of a vibe and then michigan breaking away later in this one i kind of see it similar to that but i think michigan is is a better team in every facet and i don't believe in james franklin i think there's a chance michigan comes in and puts it to him it was 41 17 last year is there any reason michigan can at least get to 38 so i'm gonna go 38 10 michigan i think this is a beat down yes I think Michigan's on the war path right now their performance last week I know it's got some people down I'm not I am not they tend to show up for the bigger games and Jim Harbaugh has been excellent against Penn State and against James Franklin historically I think that continues yeah let's let's go I I think Michigan rolls in Happy Valley and then we get the inevitable narrative flip where Penn State wasn't that good anyway Oh, of course, you, yeah. You know it's coming, just like it did last year. Tremendous, tremendous breakdown. I love, I love all of those points. Um, other guys to watch in this uh, again with Corum. He he never he didn't get a play in Happy Valley two years ago, so he's the kind of guy that takes like umbrage with that. Like he wants to leave his mark there. JJ didn't play there two years ago. They just went with Cade the whole game. So something to keep an eye on there. Last time they were in Happy Valley, Roman Wilson had two touchdowns. Like. As much as we talk about everybody else, this could be a big Roman Wilson game. Yeah. Like, I think they're going to have a lot for him. I think his speed is deceptive, and I think it opens things up a lot. 
Um, you saw what Michigan did against Michigan State with the mismatches with uh, tight ends. Like the coverage was fine in those games. It was just the throws were better, and the line and the linebackers just could not cover those big body tight ends in Loveland and Barner. So just it feels like Michigan's offense has too many answers and tricks to throw at this defense to hold up that way for four quarters. I'm with you. Yeah, man, I wanted to get Loveland in there either with player of the game or, or guys to watch because very well could be a, a big Loveland-Barner game. That's a massive mismatch, mismatch, like you said, for anyone, but definitely against this Penn State team. I think they would much prefer their linebackers closer to the line of scrimmage and not having to go 18, 20 yards down the field trying to cover Colston Loveland. That is not how they were best served. So if nothing else, expect Michigan to force that, to force their linebackers to do things that they don't want them to do. So I'm with it, man. Man, I am I am excited for this one, brother. It is real football at noon, the way the oh, Lord intended. God. And Michigan can basically shut up all the narratives surrounding this program if you come out and just house Penn State, or just get a win. I, it doesn't have to be a win. beat down, but just win. Just win, baby. That is all that I care about. All right, sir, we are going to take a break. In the back half, we have got Kellen Voss on here to talk some Michigan basketball. This has been fun, sir. Good luck with the interview. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We'd like to welcome back to the show, Mason Brew contributor, good friend of the podcast, and a hell of a human American male, Kellen Voss. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm, I'm well, Jared. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, we got one game under our belt for Michigan, and they looked pretty, pretty good last night. Yeah, man. Excited to have you on to talk some ball. It is an exciting part of the year. I have to admit, and we've discussed it on this podcast, I think that maybe my expectations were a little low coming in, but as with any season, as it gets closer, you start to build anticipation. I think some of the rumblings behind scene, particularly after the rumors about the Marquette scrimmage started to get me back on board. So I just wanted to bring you on to get your 30,000 foot view of this team. Uh, we're going to talk obviously about what happened last night about UNC Asheville, but just give me your elevator pitch for this team. Uh, my elevator pitch for this team is I know you and Andy are big Bill Simmons guys, and th this team really has a nobody believes in us uh, chip on their shoulder. Um, when we were at Media Day a few weeks ago, uh, the Tennessee transfer, Olivier Kamwa, 
actually uh, brought up the media poll uh, unprompted, the poll that the Athletic and the Columbus Dispatch do every year, where Michigan was actually ranked to finish 11th out of 14th in the Big Ten. Uh, since there's been that many teams in the Big Ten, Michigan has never finished worse than 10th. So the media, I guess, was predicting Michigan to be one of the worst teams in the Big Ten and makes sense on paper after losing Dickinson, losing Buffkin, losing Jet Howard. But you bring in Kamwa, you bring in Burnett, you bring in um, Jackson, you have, you know, uh, sophomore leaps now from McDaniel and Reed and Cheddar, uh, T. Will in his senior year. And there's a lot to be excited about from this Michigan team. You know, um, there's, I guess, I guess my pitch would be that, you know, they're really versatile. They're really athletic. They have a legitimate, uh, guy who has NBA aspirations in Kamwa. They have uh, a really good point guard in McDaniel, who we saw have flashes in his freshman year, but we typically see guards make that leap from freshman year to sophomore year, like how Buffkin did once they get established in college basketball and learn the offense and get um, more comfortable with the pace of the game and everything. So when you factor those two in on top of a lot of really good role players, this Michigan team might be a little bit better than people think. I personally absolutely love the chip on your shoulder. No one believes in us types of teams. Very easy to root for those teams to get behind them. Not that we needed any help there. What is the best version of this team look like? You mentioned Doug McDaniel and Kamwa first right off the top there. Are those the two primary scoring options? And and what do you think that um, Juwan Howard is trying to, to make this team look like? What is he trying to build out here with this group of personnel? I do think that the ideal the ideal scenario is that you, you get contributions from everybody, but yeah, that Kamwa and McDaniel are your main two guys. Um, I think they they utilize the pick and roll quite a bit with McDaniel at the top of the at the top of their set last night. Uh, you had Kamwa setting screens, Terrace Reed setting screens, Cheddar setting screens, and he's kind of you know he he with them with them being towards the top of the wing, he has the ability to get to the top of the key. And then if he wants to go downhill, he can go downhill. There were a couple times where the defender played off him and he just shot a three at the top of the key and it went in. And then from those looks too, he can find shooters like Namari Burnett, like Terrence Williams, like George Washington eventually uh, to kick out to. And it actually is, is a pretty, it's a pretty well oiled machine offensively. The biggest takeaway I had from last night is how fast they played and how versatile they were. You know, Terrace Reed did get into foul trouble last night, which made uh, force them to play Kamwa at the five and Cheddar at the five. But with those groups, they have so many guys like like Cheddar, Williams, Jackson, Kamwa that can play multiple positions, that can be versatile and can get out and run the floor. Um, I think they had uh, nine nine fast break points last night. Felt like way more than that. Got a lot of open threes in transition. Uh, they were playing super, super, super fast. And uh, Martelli said post game that that's been a goal of theirs since July. Like they want, they they know they have those smaller, more versatile lineups that that they couldn't they couldn't roll out a lot the last few years with with Dickinson in the in the middle of the paint. That they can now they can now play a more up tempo pace and stuff. And uh, I, I, it, it worked last night against a good mid major UNC Asheville team who they they won by twenty five and never trailed the entire game. Yeah, I love it. I, I watch a lot of NBA, as you know, and I know you do as well. And the yeah. idea of playing small certainly is something that a lot of the NBA teams have adapted. And Michigan gone big um, over the last couple of years, as you mentioned. Now, do you think that that lack of size, obviously you don't get better by losing Dickinson, but we saw what happened with Terrace Reed getting into foul trouble last night. Is the lack of size something that concerns you with this team, or do you kind of like their ability to be versatile, switch it up? Is Kamwa at the five something that's serviceable in a Big Ten schedule? 
I think it is. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Reed still gives them size, but foul trouble has still been an issue with him. It was all last year and he still needs to get better about, um, I'm not fouling in that case, but yeah, Kamwa is a good enough player to let them survive at the five. You know, you, you have some really good post players in the big 10, your Zach Edes, your Cliff Amor, Omori, your, um, you know, there's, there's tons of, there's tons of good post players in the big 10. So, so ideally you'd want to have one more big in there to throw at those guys, but, this is a this is a time where Michigan can kind of zig when everybody else is zagging, right? A lot of the Big Ten plays a more traditional post player play through your big man style, and Michigan, it, you know, in a world without Hunter Dickinson, Michigan can now play groups and play lineups they never really could before, right? They can play some smaller lineups where guys can interchange from the four to the five or from the four to the three, run out and transition, space the floor a little bit more, uh, make the force the force the game to be a little bit more up tempo. And it's a style that I've been wanting them to, to I've been wanting to see out of this team for years and years and years. Obviously Hunter Dickinson is an amazing player is one of the best big men to ever play at, at Michigan, but you kind of had to be set in one particular style when he was on the floor. And now this offers the Michigan coaching staff a little bit more creativity to flex uh, the, to, to show off the versatility of this group, the athleticism of this group and the, the ball movement of this group. Yeah, personally, I think it's a more entertaining product to watch when you're that fluid and you're that fast and you're moving around. You're that switchable. You're that versatile. I like it. Uh, a lot of talk about Kamwa. Tell me what you saw from the other two transfers, Burnett and Jackson. What did you see from them? What can we expect? Uh, it was 21 minutes from Burnett and 20 minutes from Jackson last night. Yeah, uh, Burnett uh, Burnett started at the two uh, next to McDaniel. I think that's going to be his normal spot at the whole season. Um, he kind of dealt with a little bit of foul trouble too, but he, he was in foul trouble when Michigan went on our big run in the first half to kind of make it a 15, 20 point game out of reach. But when he was up on the floor, he was pretty impressive. I mean, he, he's not a knockdown shooter. He can make an open three, but he's more of a, he's more of a slasher kind of guy played excellent on ball defense also did really well in transition. That's, that's where he, that's where his bread and butter was when he was at Alabama last year. Um, I don't think he's ever really going to lead them in points, but if he has more games like last night where he has like 10 to 13 points and gives you good defense, that's really all you can ask from him. Uh, Trey Jackson struggled a little bit offensively. I, he, I don't think he took many shots, but he had three points, four rebounds, um, was the first guy off the bench for Michigan, is a versatile guy that can play the three and the four at Michigan. Um, it, it is a really, is a, it's a pretty good shooter can create his own shot a little bit. Um, he's kind of like another, like a, like a bigger version of T will out there that, that, that can, that can play the, that can play the four. Um, I think he'll probably be the sixth man going forward with this team. And I could, he, he played really, really well in the exhibition game. I could see, uh, them having a couple games where he gets them 15 points off the bench and it swings a Big Ten game for Michigan. So yeah, I mean they they, they both had played pretty well in limited minutes last night and they should be valuable parts of the rotation moving forward. What about when Jace Howard and Jalen Llewellyn come back in? Where do they fit into this picture? Do you see Llewellyn slotting into that starting two spot or is that something that's Burnett's to lose? I think uh, it's Burnett's to lose at this point. Um, I think I think he's I think he's been he he showed it last night. Um, and and Llewellyn's more of a point guard straight up. Um, they tried to have Burnett play a little point guard when Doug was off the floor. Um, it, it went it went fine. I think I think uh, when he gets back, he's day to day right now, still recovering from his torn ACL from back in December. But once he comes back, I think 
he'll be the the go-to backup point guard. We'll give Doug McDaniel a little bit more of a chance to breathe, give him a little bit more rest. I do want to see what it looks like when the two of them play together, but I think Llewellyn will mostly be um, a, a backup point guard. And it's always good to have experienced guards in college basketball, and that's what Llewellyn brings. Uh, with Jace, I don't think Jace is going to play a ton when he gets back. I think he'll still play maybe four or five minutes a game, give you excellent defense, especially if the guards are in foul trouble or not shooting well. But him being out four to six weeks, it sucks because he's one of their captains. But I, I think once he gets back, he'll probably play four or five minutes at the two, maybe the three in a pinch. Um, maybe we'll play about the same as George Washington, I would think. Yeah, I mean, decent glue guy. But let's right. talk a little bit about some of those uh, those guys on the peripheral. Who's a swing player for you? Um, looks like Will Shatter, 21 minutes last night. We kind of mm-hmm. know that he's that utility player, what right. he can do. But, but who's a swing player, a player that if they take a leap this year can raise the ceiling of this team? It's weird to say that seniors take a leap, but Terrence Williams looked looked pretty damn good last night. Like he had he had 15 points. He made three three of his five threes. Uh, he was he was shooting really really well. His new he's got a new jumper that looks way more fluid, and he was one of the beneficiaries of them playing faster and, and getting up in transition. Doug McDaniel found him a few times for easy buckets. He just looked so much more confident. Uh, he had, he actually was the only player that had two blocks last night. Played pretty good def- defensively. Uh, moved. His, he's always moved his feet well. He's always been a pretty good interior defender and rebounder. The offense was, it was, there was definitely a confidence issue last year, kind of similar to Brandon Johns, where once he missed a shot or two, it definitely looked like he got in his own head. And last night I think was really good for him. And if he can be a quintessential three and D guy who can sometimes give you a little bit more points than that, from that perspective, I think Michigan's in really, really good shape because that was a guy that they weren't, you know, us fans weren't necessarily expecting much from him before the season. And he definitely looks much, much more comfortable in this faster up-tempo system. I'm a notorious homer that refuses to to just lose my stock in any of these guys. Yeah. But even I was on the, the, the training uh-huh. room floor just unloading my Terrence Williams stock after yeah. last year. But he comes back with the jumper. And this is the ultimate like being roped back in again, because the idea of Terrence Williams has always been in- intriguing. You know, oh, a yeah. guy that can play some three, a guy that can play four, that can space the floor, even though he never really did space the floor. But if he adds that element to his game, the other things that he does, does and brings to the court that just makes him an extremely valuable player all of a sudden absolutely I mean last year was really a a bumpy road for him I think he struggled with confidence you know lost his starting spot to Cheddar um, after he was recovered from his from his little knee injury he had but people forget that his sophomore I actually looked this up for a preseason profile that a few weeks ago his sophomore year he was actually the second leading three-point shooter for Michigan behind Eli Brooks you know last year was it clouded a lot of people's memory a lot but he does have that potential to be a really, really important role player, almost an overqualified role player for this Michigan team. He was that his sophomore year when Michigan went to the Sweet 16. He has a lot of that college basketball experience. And we see it in college basketball, especially that the more and more games you have under your belt, the more comfortable you feel in a lot of these games. And and Terrence Williams, you could just tell last night was on, it, it was him and Kamwa were definitely like, the, the the dudes out there who were who were kind of dictating the pace of things, dictating the scoring and and doing a lot of great things. Well, Doug also had a career high of 22 points and, and looked pretty damn good as the point guard. I was actually texting with our boss, Vaughn, last night that Doug's kind of on pace right now to be the best point guard Michigan's had since Trey Burke, which is some pretty elite territory. 
wild, wild statement. I cannot quite get there yet. I mean, we were all excited about Doug coming back in, what he could be. He's certainly extremely versatile. Shot four of nine from three last night. That's going to be critical. I like what he brings on offense. What about defensively? What did you see from this entire group defensively? Uh, Particularly, I want to start talking a little bit about Terrace Reed, who we haven't talked about a ton in this one. What did you see from the rim protection from him and just overall defensively from this team? Rim protection was really solid uh, all night long. Michigan forced a lot of missed layups from UNC Asheville. Um, Reed didn't play a ton. He was in foul trouble a lot of the game. Uh, but when he did play, he was he was probably Michigan's best defender on the inside. Um, my one qualm from last night is Michigan fouled a lot. Um, they I think they had I think there were 18 fouls total in the first half from both teams, and then Michigan actually. Uh, UNC Asheville was actually in the bonus midway through the second half already. Like uh, they they were calling a pretty tight whistle last night, but Michigan also didn't do a great job moving their feet and kind of had a couple lazy like grabbing guys fouls. And I think they needed to improve a little bit from that aspect. But the defense looked pretty pretty good last night. You know that's Saudi Washington's uh, area of the floor, his area of expertise. They did a great job crashing into guys and crashing the boards and. And kind of like like honing in when when a guy was driving, there was not a lot of easy buckets for UNC Asheville last night. Um, and uh, but yeah, I, I thought I thought it was pretty pretty good defensively. Yeah, ultimately last night there's there's almost no negatives to take away from last night. It was a it was a really really good showing. Well, there is one negative, and that is I am alone out on an island collecting rainwater trying to survive on Yusuf Kayat Island. Six minutes for him, over three from the field. What did you see from Kayat? What is his role going to be on this team? I think he just still is is getting is is getting used to the pace of college basketball and getting used to this offense. You know, he I think he had two points. He had one. He had a he had a point where he was driving. He he got a rebound and tried to take it coast to coast himself. I think the layup actually ended up hitting the underside of the rim. Uh, so it's it's just yeah you. you I think he's still just getting used to getting used to to his frame and getting used to the speed of the game and stuff. All the tools are there, and he could definitely be a ninth, tenth man on this team. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't sell your stock in Kyat just yet. I can't sell it. I've been way too vocal about how much that I've purchased and no one's buying it at this point. I'm I'm going to go ahead and hold on to it. It's valueless right now. I just don't understand because what I saw from his tape and granted, I wasn't grinding all of the Turkish league tape. It was more the highlight package, but Mm. I saw him operating against grown adults. What is it that's taking him so long to adjust to this college game? Because this was a highly recruited guy that international, like a lot of a lot of teams were after him. Certainly fits the profile of a player that can come in and get you buckets. But why is it taking so long for Kayat? When you watched him last year, the processing what just wasn't there, right? Like you saw, you see it from from wings. Like you see it like guys like like Terrence Williams who have been around college basketball a while, like. They understand the pace of the game. They also understand Michigan's offense, and they get the flow of it, and they get where to get their shots in that flow of it. Kyat didn't get a lot of minutes last year, and I think that was to his detriment because I don't. I still think he's trying to get his footing in terms of getting used to this offense and getting used to the speed and the tempo of everything. I do think he has the tools to eventually get there, and he has the tools. At 6'9", he has the tools to be a pretty good wing defender for them, but I think he'll still need – a little bit of time and hopefully he gets that in this non-conference play here before because if he can be a you know solid ninth tenth man who can get you four or five points over a stretch eventually once big 10 play starts that would be awesome for michigan 
Yeah, anything that they can get from him as a contributor, particularly since they're not very deep with size behind Terrace yeah. Reed, is going to be helpful. Uh, all right, sir, so what game should we be looking at on the schedule? When are we going to know what we need to know about this Michigan team? Um, Let me just pull up the schedule real quick. I know they play St. John's next week in Rick Pitino. St. John's in, on yeah. Monday. They, they play St. John's on Monday. That's going to be a good test. Um, that I think we'll learn a lot about this team. They have a, they have a tournament in Thanksgiving. It's I'm blank. I think it's the bad. Yeah, it is the battle for Atlantis. They won the battle for Atlantis the last time they were there. That was Juwan's first season. Um, they play Memphis in that first game and then they'll play, depending on if they win or lose, they'll either play Arkansas or Stanford. If they get the chance to play Arkansas, that would be an awesome test for them because Arkansas has been a really, really good team throughout college basketball. Um, they'll play Oregon on Dece- in December, the first week of December. And then they have two big 10 games against Indiana and Iowa. Um, I think we'll learn a lot about this team over the next coming weeks. You know, they don't, they don't have a ton of cupcakes. They have a few, you know, they should beat Youngstown state handily. They should beat long beach state handily, but I think we're going to learn a lot about this team heading into that, that start of big 10 play on December 5th, um, with the matchups against St. John's and the matchup against Oregon and hopefully the matchup against Arkansas and Memphis, of course, too. A lot, a lot of good teams on the schedule. The Big Ten looking really deep this year. Where do you think early on Michigan is in the pecking order of the Big Ten? I would say they're right around the middle of the pack, right? Like, I I think that the 11th spot was way too low for them media-wise. I think the expectations for them was way too low. Uh, I think I think they finish right around any you could talk me into anywhere between sixth and ninth in this in this conference. You know, Purdue's going to be pretty good. Michigan State lost their opener, but I think they're, they're going to figure things out eventually. I think Maryland's going to be pretty good. Wisconsin, unfortunately, I think is going to be pretty good. But I think Michigan is in that same tier with like the Ohio States and the Indianas and maybe you throw Iowa in there, Northwestern, where it's like. It's going to be similar to last year in the Big Ten, right, where it's like you could see them beating almost anybody in the Big Ten, but you could also see them losing anybody in the Big Ten. Um, I think the floor of the Big Ten is a lot higher than it was last season. I like the like I like Nebraska. I think Penn State's going to be all right. Like there's a lot of teams. I think any team could pretty much beat any team in the Big Ten this year, just like last year, which could be which could be the conference's detriment come uh, NCAA tournament time. It's going to be fascinating once this schedule really starts kicking in. We'll see what we got here. But I think it's safe to say that the general consensus is cautious optimism about this team. Yeah. So this is exciting, man. Really looking forward to this season. Kellen, where can we find you? Catch your stuff, all that. Yeah. So I'll be uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Kellen underscore underscore Voss. Uh, I write uh, with basketball being in full swing. I'll write a lot for Mason Brew right now. Uh, right now, I'm on a pace of two or three articles a day. I don't think it'll keep up at that pace, but I'm, I'm writing a lot. I'm covering every game I can with my work schedule. And uh, but yeah, we'll have we'll have, uh, you know, write up sound after games, write up pregame sound before games. I'm sure I'll be on this pod a few more times to talk Michigan hoops with you. And uh, yeah, we're, we're right in the thick of college basketball season. It's a beautiful time of year. The best time of the year. We are in the sports equinox, sir. All of them. It's it's beautiful time to be alive. Thank you, Kellen, for your time. We will be talking with you soon back on this podcast. Go blue, brother. Go blue.